1 John chapter 5, the last chapter in the little book, and we're going to look at the last verses of the last chapter, okay? Uh, 1 John has really got a theme that runs from the very beginning through the end, and it's the idea of God wants us to know some things. Uh, something like 35 to 40 times, it depends on the translation you use, the word know is in this book, okay? Uh, many of these he's telling us because he wants to, us to know for a fact that we are a believer. He wants us to know so that we have assurance in our life that's based not on the opinions of men, but on the word of God. So I would really encourage you uh, sometime to take the little book of 1 John and just read through it, take a colored pencil, and circle every no you see and then go back and see what God wants you to know. Because it's just a great little book for assurance in the life of the believer. So today we're going to look at these last few verses. And four times uh, John, inspired by the Spirit of God, he uses this idea of no. He actually uses it in two different ways. And I'll try to point that out to you as we get to those, okay? But let me read the scripture and then we're going to have a word of prayer together. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God, and you can stand up if you would like to, uh, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together today and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, Jim and Deborah that have led us in worship of music. And we're grateful that because of what Christ has done in our hearts that we can lift up songs to you that are acceptable to you because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now these words are sacrifices to you. So help us sing from our heart as we worship. Lord, as we continue now and uh, open your word, I just pray that you would, for those who are your children, that you would just uh, edify us, challenge us, correct us. Lord, for those who have not yet believed, that you might just draw them to yourselves, that you would open their eyes and their ears and their hearts, that they, they might see the truth of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do pray for Bonnie and, and just a lot of other folks that, in our church family who's dealing with uh, this virus and other illnesses and just struggles in their life, Father. We just lift them before your throne of grace in this hour of need and we ask that you would pour your grace out into their lives, that you would be exalted in them. Lord, uh, I'm a, like I say, there's Kelly and God, just people who, who we love or brothers and sisters with and they're, they're struggling through this time of health. So give them strength. Give their families comfort. God, exalt yourself in their lives. And I pray that as we consider this text today that you would uh, just open our, our minds and give us understanding. 
that those of us who are believers that the seeds of truth would take root in our hearts and fruit would be born in our life that we would not be the same because we've heard this but God just the reading of the text would make a difference in the way we live our lives and again Lord for those who have not yet believed I know that's in your hands and I, I just ask you to again show grace thank you for loving us and it's in Jesus name I pray Amen I know we got a lot of folks, and, and I, of course, didn't pray about name for everyone. Hopefully you prayed for those as our heads were bowed that that's going through difficult times right now uh, physically. But this morning we have gathered together, I hope, to encourage us. Uh, for those of us who are believers, that we will be edified, built up. Uh, and as I said, maybe those who have not yet believed that maybe today might be the day that, that Christ would open our ears and, and give us understanding of who Jesus Christ truly is. But there's some things that he wants us to know. And there's four in our text. And that's really kind of going to be the outline as we look at these verses. Well, let's just look at those together. We'll start here in the very first part of verse 18. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Okay, so he starts out with this idea. Now, I want you to know this if you're a believer. And this, this word here, by the way, is really different than I expected. It means the gathering of facts, coming to a conclusion, and that con conclusion hopefully is truth, okay? And that conclusion has to match up with what he just said right here. That if you have been born of God, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So two thoughts come to my mind as I think about that. Of course, the idea of being born of God is the new birth. That which Jesus said, you shall know why I see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. That idea of being born by the Spirit, being given a new nature, a new life, a change within us because God has begun to do a work in us to grow us up into Christ's likeness. So he tells us everyone born of God. I, I like it, the idea of also the tenses. Uh, and, and I'm not a Greek scholar and I probably say that every time I preach. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do have books and commentaries and stuff just like you can get your hands on. And the tenses are so important in this little book of 1 John. Like this, everyone born of God, the tense is perfect passive participle, which means this. It is an action that was completed in the past, but it has continuing results in your life. So in other words, he's saying if you have been born of God, it done in the past, child of God, and it has continuing results in your life today. That's what all these no's are about in 1 John. This continuing work of God in our lives as his children. But another key thought about that, did you hear me say passive? Passive means the subject is acted upon by another. In other words, we don't save ourselves. Salvation is of God. We know that. But sometimes we act like we don't know that, you know, but it is truth. God saves. He, he saves. He starts from the very beginning. He initiates our salvation. He brings us to a point of understanding that we are lost. He, he opens our understanding to the truth that Jesus Christ truly is the one who he said he is. That Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring us to the Father. And he brings us to that conclusion that that is truth. So we respond in faith. Let me show you 
a scripture that's just really important considering that over in John uh, chapter 1. Uh, I, verse 12 is a verse that's probably in every tract that's ever been produced. He says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But see, here's where we mess up. We stop right there. That's comma. That's not the end of the sentence. Become children of God, and we go on, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of a man, but of God. Salvation is of God. And if we think in some way we can earn or deserve or it's a reward to us, we will never really have a heart of gratitude and appreciation to our Father for our salvation. Because somewhere in the back of our mind we'll always think, I did it. I did it, didn't I? Man, I did just the right thing. I did it. No, you didn't do it. If you are a child of God, if you have been born again, you have been born of God. And being born of God means you need to no longer fear the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin being death. Okay? Uh, death just basically means separation. All right? Uh, in that great chapter on faith and works, James, and this won't be word for word, but James talked about faith and works, how he said, faith without works is dead. Well, the first part of that verse said, just as the body without the spirit is dead. So we see physical life is separation of spirit and body. Spiritual death is separation of individuals from God. And our sin nature, because we are sinners, we are separated from God until we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, which God does. See, the prophet Isaiah even said it. He said, listen, my hand's not so short, you know, or my ear's not so dull that I cannot save, but your sins have separated us. Death, okay? So he talks, we do not have to fear being separated from the Father. We do not have to fear spiritual death. Why? Because we are born of God. We have new life. But now, here's what builds on that. You do not keep on sinning. Now, that sounds almost different than the way John started this book. In the first chapter of John, two times, he said, if you say that you're without sin, you're a liar. Okay? If you say you're without sin, you make God a liar. So what is going on here when he says we do not keep on sinning? And I think the ESV really has this well. is the idea of if you are truly a child of God, you do not live in habitual sin. Sin is not your ruling force in life. Yes, we do sin, so don't misunderstand me. We're not perfect in this life. We do sin. But John, several times in this little book, said, listen... If you're a child of God, you should not live in habitual sin. Sin should not be your Lord. Sin should not be your master. Paul talked about it in Romans. Don't submit the instruments of your body as unto the flesh to sin, but to God for righteousness. And he talks about that all through Romans 6 and Romans 8. So this is one of the certainties we have that if we are born of God, sin is not our master. Okay? Another certain we have 
there in the last part of 18, he says, He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, this is an interesting statement here. He who was born of God protects him. The reason I say it's interesting, once again, it depends upon the translation you've got in your lap. Some of the translations read like, the believer protects himself. Okay? The New American Standard, which I like the way it's done, because it always capitalizes pronouns and everything that refers to deity. Well, here, that is capitalized. It's talking about Jesus. He, we would say it like this if we was reading out the New American Standard. Jesus, who was born of God, protects believers. All right? I, I personally, that's what I hold to. I, I think that's the translation we should hold to, that we are kept not by how wonderful we are, but we are kept by the Son of God, and the Son of God protects us. All right? And he says, the evil one does not touch him. Now, I don't know if you were in Sunday school this last hour and heard our speaker, but he talked about all the suffering that's taking place in the church. And, of course, we see it in our own, in our own churches in some ways. Not nearly like some countries do. But so this does not touch, does not mean that you're never going to have any suffering in life. You're never going to have any hardships. So what is he saying here? Well, let's, let's look at these words. One is this idea of he protects him. He protects the believer. This word is often translated, keeps, watches over, guards against. John chapter 17, I like the way... John wrote here, in John 17, verse 12, he said like this, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. So he's saying, listen, Jesus has the ability to keep his own. He has the capacity to keep his children. And we might say, well, you know, that's talking to the first 12. Well, let's flip back into the back of the Old Testament to the book of Jude, uh, Jude 24 and 25. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. So what he's saying, listen, Jesus Christ keeps his own. That doesn't mean that we never struggle, we never have hardships, we never sin. That doesn't mean many of you have suffered the virus here. A lot of you doesn't mean, hey, what? guess what? I got saved, so I'm never going to be sick again. You've got the wrong idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, okay? Because we who are the children of God, we do suffer. So what is he talking about here when he says the evil one does not touch him? Well, that word touch is not like me touching that bottle, okay? It is the idea of grasping something holding on to something so tightly that it cannot get away. It is the exact same word that Jesus used when, when Mary, remember when Mary saw the resurrected Jesus, and man, she wrapped her arms around his feet, and, and Jesus said, Mary, stop clinging to me. That's the word that is used here in 1 John. Satan is unable 
to cling to us and hold on tightly to us as one of his own. 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 10. Let me read that to you as well. It's a great, great uh, paragraph here. Uh, okay, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. We just heard that. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep from us sinning because he has been born of God. This is... My eyes are blurry. This is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he the one who does this does not love his brother. All right, so he's saying there, if you sin, if you do not love your brother, you are following the works of Satan. But Jesus came for the very reason of destroying the works of Satan. Satan... I do not believe can do anything to a child of God except at first pass through the hands of God's grace. Man, I tell you what, yes, we may suffer. We see our brothers and sisters dying for their faith. But man, they are not forgotten by God. He has not turned loose of them. They are still in his hands. I love what John said. Uh, he said, man, if you are in the hands of Jesus, no one can take you out of the hands of the Father. And if you are in the hands of God, no one can remove you from the hands of God. And then later we are told we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and no one can break that seal other than God himself. Man, we are kept. We are protected being the children of God. And you and I, we need to learn to live in this victory that Jesus has obtained for his children. Even in the midst of suffering, we still know what truth said about that. And we know what truth says about Jesus. So we don't focus on the suffering. We focus on our Savior. And that is how we live in the victory that Christ has obtained for us. So he says there in verse 18, we know we're born of God, all right? We know we don't keep on sinning. We, we know that there is uh, the evil one, Satan, but we know that he cannot cling tightly to us. I love uh, this last Thursday we discussed Mark chapter 5 in our men's coffee, uh, the, re the retired guys mostly, and we talked about legion. And man, you remember Legion, that dude had so many demons, that's why they called him Legion, and they would try to chain him up, and he would break the chains, and uh, the people were scared to death to go through the tombs and stuff because he was there cutting himself and shouting. And what happened? Man, Jesus came, and, and Jesus just walked up to him, and man, Legion falls on his face, and the evil spirits say to Jesus, Oh, most high son of God, why are you here? What do I have to do with you? And then they said, man, don't cast us into nothing, but cast us into that herd of 2,000 pigs over there. And I love what Jesus said, especially in the ESV. Jesus said he gave them permission to go into the pigs. I like that. Jesus gave them permission 
to go into the pigs. Man, we serve a Lord that when the disciples saw him on that boat in the midst of the storm, they said, what manner of man is this that he stops the wind and he stops the wave? He's the guy that in his ministry he would cast the demons out of people and people would say, what manner of man is this that he even casts the demons out of people? Man, Jesus, the Son of God, is our only way to the Father Jesus is our Savior. So what is our second certainty? The first certainty, if you're a child of God, you've been born of God, you need no longer fear the penalty of sin, you don't live under the power of sin, you don't live under the power of Satan. So what else? Well, the second certainty, we know we are from God. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All right? So he repeats this no again, these certainties that you and I who are believers that we can hold to. We have experienced the new birth. We know we have experienced the new birth. Our life lines up with the nose of 1 John. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. We have experienced the reality of the new birth by the Spirit. Again, God clearly being the source of our new birth, born of God. But then he makes a statement. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That word lies is interesting. It is a picture of a child laying in its parents' lap. Okay, He's saying that is where the world is with the evil one. That, that the, the world is just, and we're talking about the lost world, right? I mean, it's just laying there, and, and Satan just does what he wants to, basically, with it, as, as he is, the Scripture says, he is the God of this world. He is the deceiver of the whole world. He is the ruler of the world. He is the spirit who is now at work in the lost world. So he is a mighty foe. I'm not saying you that, telling you today that, hell, you know, hey, just, just ignore the guy, you know, and just, but we, sir, he is powerful foe he is a roaring lion first peter says but then we have to remind ourselves man that jesus has defamed him jesus has power over him i like uh, adrian rogers uh, you guys some of you guys will remember adrian rogers he was uh, a pastor of long ago and uh, man he he preached for years and years and every sermon i ever heard him preach every point would either start with the same letter or they would rhyme so I heard him preach on Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 one time. It's something I've always remembered. Maybe it's something you can remember that will help you when you think about your enemies. But Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 talk about we have the flesh, we have the world, we have Satan. So he said we have the internal foe, which is our flesh. We have the external foe, uh, which is the world. And then this word, he has infernal foe, that is Satan. Now I've always remembered that ever since I heard him say that as a young man. That we have three enemies that we constantly fight against as the children of God. But we fight from the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in our own strength, in our own power. You know, God's word is very clear. That yes, there is a kingdom of darkness. But there's also a kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. He has delivered us believers from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sin. So every one of us sitting in this sanctuary today. We live in one of these kingdoms. We live in the kingdom of light 
and life, which is ruled by God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and we're under their authority, or we live in the kingdom of darkness and death, which is the kingdom of Satan. Now, you might say, well, you know, I know people that's just, they're not Christians, but, you know, they're really good folks and so forth and so forth. They're still in the kingdom of darkness. If they have not believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they are believing a lie. They are believing they don't need Jesus. They're just not quite that bad. So they don't need a perfect Savior. They're living under a lie. They're living under the rule of Satan. And we need to always love people and, and encourage people to have their eyes open to the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, we live in this world. We live in this world that lays in the lap of Satan. Jesus told us that very clearly in John, very clearly in John chapter 17. Uh, let me find it here real quick for you. John 17 is that great high priestly prayer of Jesus in verses 14 through 16. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So there is the world, and it lies in the lap of this evil one, this one who wants to destroy and wants to uh, tear your testimony up and discourage you in, in your walk of faith. But dear friends, we have a Savior who is protecting us, who says, man, our enemy cannot hold tightly to us. We have a Savior. We have the Word of God. We have truth. So we know that we are born of God. All right? You know, sometimes I think we've been born again so long that maybe being born again really don't excite us like it should. But man, folks, to think that the God of, of eternity, the God of all creation, the God who knew that, you, that we were going to be sinners before we ever breathed a breath of air, that God in eternity past wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life. That should fire us up to think that God loved us with such a great love. He sent His Son to take on flesh and live a perfect life and die on a cross for those of who would believe upon Him that we could have eternal life, new life, born again. We should rejoice in that truth. Well, verse 20 tells us some more no's, doesn't it? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So we know the Son of God has come in the flesh. What's important about that? What's important about that, if you read the, the book of 1 John, you will find out there are a group of false teachers who's going through that area, and they are saying that Jesus Christ was really not God in the flesh. Now, if you wanted to believe in Jesus, that was fine. Just you needed a lot more than Jesus because in himself, he was not sufficient. And John was very clear in the writing in, in first three verses of John 4. I won't read them for time, but he makes it very clear that anyone who says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh... He is a false teacher. And that's why as he gets to this closing of his book, he, said, he reminds us again, we son of God has come. 
He has come in the flesh. And he came in the flesh for a reason. He laid aside the glory of heaven. He came in the flesh, as I said earlier, so he could live that perfect life. So he could go to the cross. He could take on our sins. He could be laid in the tomb. He could raise on the third day, defeating Satan, defeating sin. And he did it for us, for God's children. Just think about the glory of that, what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he became sin. No, wait. For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might take on the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, He has suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So Jesus coming as man is very important. I just don't think you can believe, be a believer if you don't believe that Jesus Christ truly came and walked this earth and lived a perfect sinless life because that is the only way he could be a sacrifice, a propitiation, John would say, for us who are the children of God. Man, he came in the flesh. He has given us understanding. That's another thing I, I think that sometimes we don't consider enough, that we have the ability and the capacity to understand the truths of Jesus and who he is because he has given us understanding. There's a lot of people in this world who do not understand spiritual truths. But because of the grace of God, he has given his children Understanding, I say it that way because if you are a child of God, there is some things that you have to understand, okay? You have to understand these truths about Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at what he says here in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Just to see this idea of understanding. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him... And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And over in 18 of chapter 1, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he's given us understanding. That's why you can sit in a church, maybe in a group, and there'll be two people sitting there, and maybe one is not a believer and one is, and the scriptures are being read and songs are being sung, and, and maybe the, the truth is being proclaimed. And for one guy, man, it just hits his heart, and, and it just makes a difference, and seeds of truth are planted in his life, and those, those seeds are watered by the grace of God, and fruit just bears up out of his life, because he heard the word of God and he understood the word of God. But the person sitting right next to him, the word of God will just fly right over his head and do nothing in his life. That is the difference that we're talking about here. He who understands truth and he who does not understand truth. Now don't take me wrong. I'm not saying I read this Bible from cover to cover and I understand everything in it. Because I don't. But as we grow as believers, God is teaching us truth. And as we learn one truth, it opens up another truth to us. So he is giving us understanding as we grow 
in his grace. His purpose is that we start as a baby, as a believer, and we grow in his grace and he conforms us to his son, Jesus Christ. One of the ways he does it is with the word of God and also with the spirit of God. So he gives us understanding so that we, what? Notice the next phrase in that verse, so that we may know him who is true. All right? That's why he gives you understanding at the beginning. He wants you to know him who is true. Now, here's the interesting thing about this word know. The first three times we saw know, it was the idea of the ability to gather up facts, come to a conclusion, and understand that truth. This is not that. This word is knowledge gained by experience. So what he's saying here is that, that we may know him, we come to know him by experiencing the truth of who he is. Every one of you, if you are a child of God, there was some time in your life that the Spirit of God was at work in your heart and you experienced the reality of who Jesus is. All of a sudden, you understood he was worthy of your trust and your faith, and your life. You, we might use the word, you came alive. You understood who Jesus was. Man, I hope every one of you can remember that. And, and I, I'm not one of those guys says, well, give me a date and give me a time or you're not saved. I'm not that guy, okay? But I do really believe that, that we should know in our life that, man, we were this. And all of a sudden, we became this. And we did because we experienced the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Is. He is the Son of God. And God opened our eyes and gave us understanding so that we might know him who is true. He goes on to say we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. You've heard Pastor Jason say this many times. When we come to Jesus by faith, we are united to Christ. We become one with Christ. We become joined to the body of Jesus. We are in his son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, he is the true God and eternal life. All right? So not only is he fully man, he is fully God. And without Jesus, there is no hope because Jesus Christ is our mediator. Let me read 1 John 5, 11 and 12 to you quickly here. It says, and this is the testimony that God gives us, eternal life. And this life is in his son, Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I mean, I don't know how we can make that any plainer. To understand who Jesus is and, and he resides within you by the Spirit of God. In fact, Romans 8 would say, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. Sons live within us gives us life. And even when we go through difficult times and, and we live in an evil world, man, there's still the Spirit of God who resides within us and gives us hope and encourages us. See, He is with us. He is the one true God. Then in closing, and, and I always, every time I go through this book, this last verse, I always kind of, I don't know what word to say, wonder about it or think about it, but gives us all those no's 
all those certainties. And then he says in his closing verse, little children, that's believers, little children, keep yourself from idols. Self from idols. You know, Israel had a terrible time with idols until they were exiled. God would do a work in their life, and then they'd get hooked into an idol again. Even the bronze serpent, that, that cured them. Remember when they'd look at the bronze serpent, and, it, and they'd be cured? They made that into an idol, remember? I, I mean, they were constantly having idols until the exile. So, so these who read this, they were very aware of what an idol was. You know, we go to other countries, and, and we see idols. We see wooden idols. We see the bronze idols and golden idols. I mean, all kind of stuff. If you've been to... The Thailand, where my granddaughter's from, you'll see all kinds of spirit houses and temples that made the Buddhists and they're just full of all these idols and these false gods and people buy these little amulets that they hang on their, their windshield, rearview mirror, you know, it's going to protect them. It's going to keep them in contact with this god or they wear these charms on their neck and they have all that stuff. And, and you know what we think, or I think we think, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, I think we think, well, you know, I'm American. I like that. Man, I don't have a Buddha in my house. We used to, to be honest with you. We didn't worship it. We just thought it was neat carving. But we don't have Buddhas in our house. We don't we don't have a little corner set up in our house with a statue that we bow to and burn incense to and all that stuff like you'll see in some countries. Now we're much more refined, aren't we? We we have much more refined idols in our life. We constantly make them. In fact, uh Keller calls it being idol makers, idol manufacturers, constantly making idols. We, we have things like we worship creation, uh, we worship sports, we worship careers, we worship success, we worship power, we worship popularity, we worship homes, we worship family, we worship TV, we worship sex, we worship self, we worship materialism. We could just go on and on. And, and pro I probably hit myself in more of those than I hit you, but you know, we do. We, we take these things into our life, and man, they almost become more important to us than God himself. Our portfolio is more important than God. That is an idol. Listen to what Timothy Keller said. I, I like his definition. It's kind of long, so bear with me. Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller is a book that he's written. He says this in his beginning. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you only what God can give, anything so central in your life, should you lose it, your life would hardly be worth living. That's an idol. When we have something in our life that takes that much of our life. So he says, children, keep yourselves from idols. Three times in verse 20, he used the word truth. How do we know what is true? We, truth is comparison to God. God is our standard of truth. The word of God is our standard of truth. Three times he talks about we know the true son. We know the true God. And then he says, guard yourself from idols. You know why? Idols cannot give you anything. Sin has... Joy for a season, happiness for a season, pleasure for a season. Sin has pleasure for a season. I guess an idol could give you that. I guess it could give you some fulfillment for a season. You know, that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about eternal joy. And only Jesus can give you that. 
That's not something you get the day you die. You go, well, they're gone until eternity. No. The day you became a believer, you began your walk. God began a work in you. Grow you into Change you into the image of his son. So, guard yourself against them. All they will do is rob you. Joy, happiness, only those things that Jesus can give you. That will Lord God, I thank you grace that you've shown us in Jesus. Lord, help us, give us understanding of this text, even if I messed up, fumbled through some of it, God. I know your spirit can take your word and, and can just bear witness to hearts, and that's what I ask today.